friends. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Thanks, Morris. I am Marie, the SLP, and today we get to sit down and talk with the lovely Netta from Two Can Grow, if you know her Instagram account. She is a fellow speech-language pathologist who specializes in helping parents connect with their children, play, and talk with their children as they foster early speech and language development. Um, So we're going to talk to her about all those things. We're going to talk to her about bilingualism, and she has a beautiful affirmation to share with us at the very end of this episode to leave you all feeling inspired. So sit back, enjoy, and let's welcome Netta. Thank you for being here. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. A little nervous, too, for the technical difficulties. (laughs) Yeah, this is my first podcast ever, so very excited. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thrilled. And we, um, we both share somewhat of a background in preschool. Um, so that's been fun to connect over Instagram with our, our love for preschoolers and early intervention and all of that. So why don't you go ahead and just tell us a little bit about your background as a speech pathologist and what you're currently doing, because you're doing some really great things and the people need to know. Yeah, of course. So I recently just finished out my school year working in a preschool and at the preschool I was teaching in a classroom and I taught two half day classes and then in the afternoon I was doing individual therapy. So my classes were a group of 18 month olds and then a group of 24 month olds. So the youngest of the preschoolers in the preschool, in the whole school. And our school was an, is an inclusive program for children with hearing loss. And that was just a really great opportunity because I've never seen a school like that before. So in every classroom, there is two or three children with hearing loss paired with their typically hearing peers. So that's kind of the model of the school. Um, So in the classroom, I also worked with a co-teacher. So every classroom had an SLP and then a master's level educator, which was so fun because we were able to collaborate with one another and bounce ideas. And then um, we used a thematic curriculum too. And so every month we changed a theme and so fun for our creativity and just being able to do whatever we wanted. (laughs) But also for the kids, they were just so eager to just come in every morning, see what we had planned. And it was great for fostering that curiosity and their joy for learning. Um, And so I loved working in that classroom setting, but I really missed those opportunities where I got to connect with parents. I felt like I always just saw them like at the beginning of drop off. And then when we were dropping off, it was like trying to get them in so that they wouldn't cry when mom left or dad left. And then we saw them when they picked them up. And I also found it especially hard um, when working with my kids with hearing loss and because I would do therapy with them and then I felt like there was a little bit of a disconnect with carryover and the skills and all the things that we would be doing together and then not seeing that parents would say like I'm not really seeing things changing at home Um, so getting that parent coaching in was really hard to transfer over and I felt that the same way before I was in the school, I was working in private practice and that was still really hard for parents as well. Um, So I just really was missing that like hands-on like parent coaching experience where parents were really getting in there with their kids doing, playing, talking with them and trying everything out. And I was there on the sidelines, like coaching them through it. Um, I don't know if that's been your experience in preschool life too. Yeah. And that's, I was like, I'm sitting here and if, you know, for those that have listened to previous episodes of my podcast and stuff, like they know I'm all about 
inclusion. And I love getting again to connect with you over that similar, like um, just how cool it is to watch children learn from their peers and their peers learn from them and have really meaningful relationships um, that help their speech and language. Like it's just so cool. But as much as I love it, there is that frustration when I have a hard time and it's nothing against the parents and it's really nothing against my abilities. It's just that I work in a school and like you said, you see them at pick up and drop off at a, you know, the annual IEP meeting and you can talk a little bit and they have all kinds of questions about what they can do at home, which is great. Um, but it is, I can't imagine as a parent how hard it must be then to try and implement those things without having like a speech pathologist right there with them to coach them some days. And sometimes when there might be more maybe behaviors because of the difficulties with communication, you know, it's hard. Um, Yeah. And I think also a lot of times parents will say, um, like the kids are doing these things at school, especially like when it comes to behaviors, right? Like Mm -hmm. we have like our routine and our structure and everything in place. And then as soon as the kids go home, parents are like, they've lost it. Like, I don't know how to manage my kid. Like, what do I do? Right. And I think part of that comes from kids have been keeping it together all day. Mm -hmm. And when they come home, they have to let it all out. And so helping parents through that, like when we go into the homes, we can help them learn how to create routine and structure and welcome all those big emotions. Mm-hmm. Right? Even, even after they've left school. So I think that that's like another piece of it, which is why like, I know that school is so like school can be really great for fostering those peer interactions yeah. and all those social skills and, um, all the wonderful things, but there's also so much value into parent coaching and working one-on-one with the parents to help them learn how to foster all these things. Because at the end of the day, parents do really spend so much time with their kids and they do know their kids more than any one of us. Absolutely. So that that's part of my background. And I think I've also really been very passionate about parents and helping them understand like all of, all of their kids' development, development, not just my cat. <laughs> I, I, you know, I have cats too, so. <laughs> the counter. I love it. <laughs> Sorry for the background noise. It's okay. Um, so as I was saying, <laughs> I think I've always been really passionate about supporting parents and helping them understand, right, not only their speech and language development, but also their really big emotions, their behaviors, their feeding and their sleep, because it's all so intertwined. And I think especially since I've started to can talk and even before that, I've been really reflecting on my past experiences. And I was a very, very difficult child. And I struggled a lot, like emotionally, very early on. Um, and my parents, especially my mom, like she really didn't understand why I was having all of these big emotions and why I was struggling academically. Right. And, um, and it was really hard, not only for me to go through these experiences, but also for her because she didn't know, especially like way back then, like how to access the support or where to find the support from. And I know that like, we're not the only ones who went through this experience. And so 
I really wanted to create a safe space where I'd be able to share my experience with other parents and um, connect with them and also let them know that they're not alone and that they can find the support when they're ready and when they, and how to find that support um, and helping them know that like they do know their child best and they can follow their instincts. Um, so kind of wanting to create kind of uh, like very holistic attachment parent focused approach to understanding your whole child, but also being able to share evidence-based information um, regarding everything with your child. A little bit of a one-stop shop that like when it, it only takes two people, right, to understand and to connect with one another. Um, so that's kind of how Two Can formed in the yeah. midst of COVID life. <laughs> it's been, it's so interesting. I think that there's been so much like, and of course, like obviously with, I've been able to connect with all you wonderful speech pathologists on Instagram and before the COVID shutdowns, like I really didn't have the, you know, I say quote unquote time because I'm sure I could have, but it just kind of happened where we all grouped together and supported each other and um, helped, like inspired each other to Mm -hmm. kind of go forward with all these things that we, I think a lot of us want to do to continue to work with families and, and build those really strong connections. And, Um, you know, as a, it, (laughs) It's so hard. I mean, I still am in like a um, the unknown right now with my school district. <clears throat> and I've been talking with my friend who I'm, you know, she's my preschool speech therapist in crime, um, <laughs> partner in crime. But she and I, you know, we've been talking a lot. We've, we both are very big on parent coaching and parent empowerment. And we've, that's been a goal of ours to try to implement through our preschool program. Um, But again, there is that disconnect. It's hard. We work for a school district that, you know, there has certain guidelines and things like that, but we're kind of talking about, you know, if we are going completely virtual and doing teletherapy in the fall, we have a really cool opportunity to be more invested with those parents. And so that's like our kind of, you know, silver lining. We're like, well, we can really work on that building those connections and getting a glimpse of what's going on at home. Because I think, like you said, like there's so much more that happens that we don't see when we're in the schools. Um, and so it's, it's important to get to know what, what the life outside of school is like, but it comes from building that rapport and building that safe space where you share your story and they, you know, then a family, um, is, is going to feel like, okay, you're inviting me in to yeah. your life and, and your trust. That yeah. You that trust. Just like we would do with our little ones. You know, when I sit down in an assessment, I don't start drilling for things right away. I build a fun environment. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I may, you know, might even like be a two day assessment because I just wanted to get, let them get to know me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I really love that. And, um, It kind of leads me into asking you my next question, you know, and talking more about your passion for parent education and um, just maybe giving some advice or talking about how you really go about building those connections um, that lead into the training aspect of it. Yeah. So I think this is probably one of the most challenging things we might face as SLPs and or any educator working with parents, right? Because we always, we have, we know all the knowledge, we have all the skills to be able to teach your child how to talk, but it really 
the biggest thing is building that rapport, connecting with parents. And one of the biggest things that I've learned is we have to listen to understand parents' experiences, right? Not listen and tell them what we want them to hear, right? That, that comes later. Um, but oftentimes when we first are working with parents or interacting with them, they've just found out some big news, whether their child was diagnosed with autism or has a delay or their kid is having huge behaviors and meltdowns or their child can't sleep and the parent is sleep deprived. Their parents are exhausted and they're overwhelmed and they we're the first people to hear about it and they really need to let it out. So before we jump in and give all this advice, we really need to listen and acknowledge and validate all of their emotions. And it's so important because when we think about especially working with children, we're not, we're not just working with the children, we're working with the parents too, right? And we have to check in with them, see what their goals are. What are they hoping to get out of this too? Because we need parent buy-in. In order to see change with a child, we have to have the parent want to see change and want to work with the child too and be a part of the process. And so really establishing that and talking to the parents, seeing where they're at, what's stopping them from being the ones to talk with them, to interact with them, to be playful, then we can start to find out more of what is going on in their house or what's what's hard about it, right? Um, So... I feel like it's really understanding this, this therapeutic approach. It's very different than when we were working with really older children um, versus these little ones. And so, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love that. And I love um, that you have to listen to understand, I think. Um, and again, coming from my school district perspective, you know, I started out in the elementary school and like you said, with those older kiddos and the parents already, I mean, they'd already had an initial IEP years before they, they are at a stage where they understand, you know, maybe they're a little bit more, I don't want to say realistic, but it's kind of what it is, right? They just have a better, they've got, they've gone through it. They've had the initial team that has listened. And even in my IEPs with my older kids or their families, you know, I'm still a listener. There's still things that come up in life and struggles with maybe socially being social in a restaurant or things like that, that parents start to face or whatever it is. But I do notice, you know, in the beginning, um, when I have my initial preschool evaluations or just, just when I sit down in an interview with a parent, um, it's so hard sometimes for me in my mind to not like start to think of all the reasons things might be happening, but I have to really kind of coach myself first and just be like, just listen, because really, yeah. um, At the end of the day, like this parent has a concern and it's so funny, you know, if I do like my multidisciplinary assessments, you know, where I have the occupational therapist, a psychologist who's coming in and, or and a teacher that's coming in and looking at pre-academics, I always feel like the biggest concern of the parents at these young ages is that communication, not always, but mm-hmm. some, a lot of the time, like they might be talking about all the things their child can or cannot do. And it might not seem as speech related as it is. Um, and, you know, because there's that concern of my child's going into preschool or, they, or I want them to be successful in school. 
And a lot of what that might look like as I ask them questions and as I just am a listener is they want their child to be social and they want them to have meaningful interactions with peers and their teachers. Um, but if I'm just in my head like, oh, well, you know, you're, you're talking about academics and that doesn't really, I'll wait until you're ready to ask me speech questions, right? Then I yeah. might not actually like see that they're really getting at something that is so communication mm -hmm. heavy. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I love that you made that point because I think speech pathologists, we do, we tend to be ready to, you know, that, what's that quote? Like, stop talking I'm, or while you're talking, I'm diagnosing you or something like that. I've, I've heard that one before. Yeah. I think it's really hard because we are like, we're so eager to help. Right. Yeah. But before we do that, we really have to just make sure we're building that relationship with them first so that they are, they want that help to come in. Yeah. Um, can't give advice to someone who's not ready to listen. They have to want that advice to come. Um, yeah. so I think like in therapy, it's really 80% the relationship you have and then like 20% therapy. Yeah. And, and like you really have to establish that joy in communicating with each other and having those, showing them that like we can have this like back and forth interaction, conversing, understanding. And then we can also like therapy, especially with little ones is that, right? Like it's yeah. fun, playful. So showing them like this, this is what it is. So yeah, no. And that you brought up the joy and the interaction, which is something that like, I sometimes like feel like people are going to give me funny looks like in an IEP, you know, when I'm like, but when they smile, cause I'll say this a lot to parents, you know, that you, you know, especially in an IEP meeting, you go through all this jargon and all of these services and goals and it's heavy. And, you know, you write a goal for whatever it is. And the parent listens to that goal and they're like, so my child can't do that yet, you know? And that's hard um, to hear sometimes. And so I always say like, but you know what? Like when, when I have your child in speech, they're laughing, they're giggling, they're, um, you know, even if it's one smile in a whole speech session, I'm so satisfied because that means they've enjoyed the interaction and that's just one step, um, one step closer to the, meeting that goal. And, mm -hmm. um, and that's always something that I say. I'm like, as long as they smile, as long as they're happy and yeah. they want to be there, it's so important. It's well, so I think also part of that it is that when parents think about communication, they're just like, how do I get my child to talk? Like, how do we get mm -hmm. that last thing? But we have to remember that, like, in order to get to that last thing, we have to go through a series of stages, right? And just yeah. walk them through that. I always like to use metaphor of like what learning to talk is kind of like learning how to ride a bike, right? Like right. you first on like riding your tricycle and then you hold the handles and then mom's like putting the helmet on and pushing you on soft grass. And then you're eventually driving, like coasting down the hill. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the same way where when we're learning to communicate, like we can't just talk, like we have to begin with fostering like those joyful back and forth interactions. Yeah. Kids need to be motivated and know that we're not forcing them to talk. Like there's no joy in communicating when someone's being forced to talk. As adults, like if I was like it just think about having an interview when you're just being 
asked questions all the time and being told to say all these things, like I'm just waiting till I'm done. Right. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. there's no, nothing about that is enjoyable. And so you, I just like try to reframe that mindset to thinking about like children are experiencing these exact same things as we are. Exactly. No, they, the pressure of it is yeah. so much. And, and I, you know, little ones there, it's so interesting. They're so, they so see it. Like they see the looks in their parents, you know, the tension maybe because they're not talking, you know, and, and they can sense it too. Yeah. And so I always, you know, I get it. I get questions a lot with my fluency kids from parents like, well, how can we fix it? And I'm like, well, you first just be calm. You know, like, don't show, I know you're worried on your face. You don't like seeing them struggle through their utterance. But if you are, you know, joyful and, you know, just calm about it, it's going to ease their tension. And that's what we want first. And the yeah. same thing with expressive language or receptive language. Like, we don't want them to feel like there's all this pressure to get it right. Um, and littles are like, they're so in tune with oh. our that anytime we're feeling unsettled or worried or like we need something to happen, like they sense all of that. Yeah. And so that really just, it has the opposite effect when we, like we might think that we're encouraging them to communicate when we are asking those questions or doing some of these things and be like, I'm trying to get you to talk, but it really is not very motivating for them in that yeah. way. Yeah. So, it's just something to be mindful of that we really kind of with little ones, we just want to take the pressure off of getting them to talk and just mm -hmm. try to have really joyful back and forth interactions and keeping it fun, keeping it playful. Like they're little, we just want to like enjoy all of that about them. Yeah. yeah. As they learn about the world, right? We want to make all those things joyful yeah. and, and exciting learn through that. Yeah. Like, play and their interactions yeah. with us. Yeah. Um, do you have any like kind of tips for building those joyful interactions? Yeah. So I would say one of my favorite things, I feel like parents who kind of a lot, one of the myths I feel like I hear, I would say it's a myth <laughs> <laughs> um, that we need to use lots of toys. I have to get all the toys. I have to get all the flashcards. I have to get the things that make noise to get my child to talk. But in fact, like, that's not true. <laughs> it's, not. it's not. No, I agree. <laughs> and also that it's going to save you a lot of money. So that you don't need to have a lot of toys. You don't need to get the fanciest things. Like all you need is you and your child and no toys. And what we call that um, in our field is using people games. Mm -hmm. So, um, and this really just helps your child focus on you and the interaction that you guys are having with each other. And it, and in our people games, they are really repetitive and they're predictable and they help your child to remember like this little routine that's coming together. So some really common people games that you probably have used already and many parents are using already are like peekaboo. Um, or they're playing chase games with their little mm -hmm. ones, or they're throwing them up in the air and then they throw them down things that they do over and over and over again. And they do it the same way every time. And so when I do people games with my little ones, I always ask the parent, what does your child like? 
what are they interested in, right? Because the biggest thing is that we need to follow the child's lead when um, we're interacting with them. If we don't follow their lead, what I mean by that is that we are tuning into what they're looking at, what they're touching, what they are playing with. When we join in with that experience, then the child will be way more likely to engage with us and to participate in the interaction than when we do something that's our, on our agenda. <laughs> yeah. And it's so much easier for, it will be, it's so much easier for them to um, focus their attention on it because if we do something that's our agenda or we bring in a toy, they have to work to shift their attention and focus on that. So I always to ask parents, what is your child like? If your child like, if your child it loves spinning around, I would say let's play ring around the rosy and um, do that. Or if your child is super active, let's um, play a chase game. If your child loves deep pressure, then I would play a little pillow game or I would wrap him in a burrito in a blanket and then roll him out or swing him in a blanket. Mm -hmm. So there are so many different things that we can do with people games. And we just want to think about what is it that my child enjoys? What do I enjoy? What do I enjoy when I'm doing those things with my child and then bring those two things together? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm big on uh, low, like less tangible materials and like, what can we use? And again, what is your child? What is your child? Like I spent a 20 minute speech session playing chase around my speech room one day. Yeah. Um, I I did a therapy session this week and, um, it was teletherapy session and this boy was obsessed with the dishwasher and he just wanted to, um, look inside of it and like pull it in back and forth. And so we made a people game out of that where we pulled it in and out and then played peekaboo with it. Um, And then like picked out the things and put them back in and we just made it super repetitive. And then you add the words and you use them the same way every time. Yeah. And when you're having fun and you make it super exciting, the kid is already involved. And so he is starting to hear the words that you can use and play in it and they're way more engaged. Yeah. Literally be anything. (laughs) No, it really could. It's funny. I always, I talk a lot about, you know, how great puppets are in therapy and I use them a lot in my videos and stuff, but, and I, I'm honest about this too. I'm like, but you know, my, my student's favorite puppet, like I put it in quotes because it's not really a puppet. It's a tennis ball that I use, um, with this, it has a little slit. So it has like a mouth and I put googly eyes on it. That tennis ball is way more exciting to the kids for some reason than any puppet because they've seen tennis balls when they play with dogs and, you know, mm-hmm. or like around the house maybe or something like that. And it's, it's just funnier to them to see it with a little, you know, mouth or whatever. And I don't know, I'm like, I get way more out of making funny voices with this tennis ball than I do sometimes with even a puppet. Yeah. So it's just interesting. They, it could be anything like you said. Yeah. Um, A shaving, um, like, you know, shaving bottle, like top mm -hmm. and like this little boy was just obsessed with putting it under his chin and like between his chest and his chin. Yeah. And like, we were like up, up, down and having a ball for 15 minutes. And we just, made that a people game so you could and yes that is an object but it's only involving you and the parent and like there's it's yeah 
involving the two of you and you're creating this joyful interaction with yeah yeah it's like it there's nothing wrong with the toy you know pulling the toys out and if you know there's like a um, a toy your child really likes if your child's just really into you know a baby doll or something there's nothing wrong with taking that and you know going oh I squeeze the baby doll you squeeze you know or whatever it is um because there's so much you can do but sometimes you know your little one wants to open the dishwasher or open a cabinet um, and keep, you know, they do that repetitive slamming the cabinet thing. And that's great. You can make so many language, um, mm-hmm. get so much language in there. So, which kind of leads me into, I'm going to, I know I, I had something different on outline, but I want to talk a little bit more about daily routines. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You're okay. Cause now I'm like, well, this kind of goes with that because, yeah. you know, I send home, um, every month, like a new daily routine parents can think about doing at home with their little ones to keep that language input and output um, kind of in their minds. And it has like a little list of like, this is the vocabulary you can use in the bath and use it repetitively and all this stuff. Um, so I just wanted to ask you maybe like what, maybe just some quick, easy ways to promote language throughout certain daily routines. Mm-hmm. So I think like daily routines are so great and fostering that language because you do them all day, every day, and mm-hmm. they're so repetitive. Um, and I think one of the things that's really hard is that I was just talking to a parent. They were telling me like, this is so unnatural for me because um, I, I never talk like this. <laughs> like the way we talk as adults is so different than the way we talk as parents. Um, the way we talk as adults is so different than the way that we talk to kids, kids yeah. right? So um, I think it's just before we go into the tips, just like really important to set realistic expectations and goals for yourself and not feel like, okay, today I have to do all of these things all at once because then you might like disappoint yourself and you, we just have to give ourselves grace because we're, le- we're all learning and growing together and we're trying to do all of these things um, little bit by bit, right? Like if you were training for a marathon, like you wouldn't run all 26 miles all at once. Like you would have to start little by little and build it up. So same with these tips, like just soak them in and then try them a little bit at a time. Um, or just be like, okay, today at bedtime, I want to try using the, this or whatever. So, um, just make sure to give yourself grace. (laughs) No, that's such good advice. (laughs) Um, The first thing I would say is just with any um, routine, just trying to, to use really simple short phrases and making sure that they're still grammatically correct when we're using them. So you might, and the reason that we do this is because Less is more for little ones. It's easier for them to remember the words that we say when we shorten our phrases and they hear it over and over again. So if we're eating a meal, we might say, it's time to eat. Let's eat, eat, eat. I'm eating a carrot. (laughs) Yeah. And the sound. So you keep it really simple, really short, and between each of those phrases or as you're talking, we want to remember to slow down and pause. So giving them that time to process and understand the words that we're saying. And when we pause, we're giving them the opportunity to maybe take a turn and say something 
or um, yes, to take a turn and say something, yeah. right? To do something in the interaction, whether that's saying the sound or saying a word or making a gesture. Yeah. So we want to model simple phrases. And after we model those simple phrases, we really want to give them that wait time to um, see what they'll do when we, when we do those, um, when we see what, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> see, <laughs> see, what, see what they'll do after we say. Yeah. The- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think the other thing, especially with really little ones is always pairing our words with our gestures. So for kids, they, it really helps them attach meaning to the words that we're saying. So with bath time, for example, when we are washing our body, you might do a washing motion, a scrubbing motion on yourself to show them how they're scrubbing, or you might splash your hands up and down to show that you're splashing. Um, And really when we're using gestures, I just want to say that there's no, there's no research that shows like I baby sign specifically helps improve vocabulary. Right. But really what makes the most impact is using iconic gestures, right? Those are gestures that represent the actions of um, the words that we're using, right? That they're really meaningful when we're in the moment talking about the things we're doing throughout the day that we're doing them. So pointing to those things, showing the actions of when you're drinking something or when you're eating something or when you're pulling the sock on, you are showing a hand motion of pulling, um, your, your socks on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, sorry, I feel like I'm like re- being repetitive in my no. head. Um, but yeah, so just trying to always remember to pair your gestures, pair your words with your gestures, because the more we do it, then the child will start to see and make those um, connections. And then we'll likely see them to start using them themselves. And yeah. it's a great way for them to, um, start communicating with us before they're ready to use words. Exactly. Cause if you have, you know, let's say, um, maybe your child wants to play in the water and they're not yet using words or many words or whatever, but they start doing that iconic gesture that you've taught them with that repetitive bath time with splash or something, mm-hmm. you know, you might be able to interpret that and that's going to one, it's just going to give them so much confidence, right? Cause they've used yeah. something that you've interpreted Um, and then it just, it's, it's a great happy moment. You know, you're able to, now you can meet their needs and their wants and, um, and yeah. So I just think that those, that's why, I mean, I do put a lot of importance on those gestures and, and Mm -hmm. imitation of actions and things like that, because they're helpful. They really are. And I think another thing that's really helpful that goes along with kind of gestures that they see what we're showing that talking about is offering choices. You can offer choices all day long, whether it's during mealtime, whether at bath time with bath toys or um, when you're getting dressed, showing them the clothes that they are having or that they can wear, but really physically showing them two items and saying, oh, do you want the blue cup or the red cup? Mm-hmm. And having them point to it. And in that moment, you've just modeled the, you've labeled and you've modeled what they want. And then once they choose, you say, oh, here's the red cup. And yeah. then they've chosen it. Um, 
And so you're really making these tangible connections, right? Kids learn when they get to actually experience and be a part of this thing that they're holding and seeing and creating so much more meaning than when they would just see a flashcard, for example. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I want to go back up to, to a point, the point I kind of skipped over, but um, <clears throat> the idea of can't versus won't, because when we're talking about, you know, using or interpreting all these different ways that a child can communicate, um, and like you said a little while ago about, you know, sometimes parents really are asking, well, why isn't my child talking, you know, specifically verbally with words? And so um, there's that idea of can't versus won't that I kind of want to hear a little bit more about from you because um, you have a beautiful post on Instagram about it that was like <laughs> super inspiring to me because it's so helpful to have that verbiage for SLPs and for parents to understand too what that kind of means. Yeah. I think that that's something that's really important because so many times when I start therapy with families, they'll say, my kid won't talk. They're shy. They're lazy. They're stubborn. They just, they won't do it or they won't talk to me. Um, and, and I think I, and then I try to probe a little more asking them about like their experiences, what's happening. Um, but I think there's really a difference between my kid won't talk and then they can't talk because when kids can talk, they do talk, right? Kids all go through a series of stages to develop their communication skills. And some kids, they go through them a little more slowly and some kids, they stay in a stage longer. And when kids usually don't talk, that means that they can't talk right now, right? It's not a choice for them and they're having a hard time and we really mm -hmm. need to shift our perspective and see what is it that they need in their environment to what, how can we adjust our environment or adjust what we are doing to support them in helping them learn how to talk? Yeah. No, I had a situation a couple years ago with one of my little guys who was nonverbal um, and his mom did say that to me, like, he just won't talk to me. He, you know, he said like a year ago said mama, and now he just won't say it anymore, you know? And, um, she was frustrated and I totally, I was like, it was hard because, you know, you're at that stage where he, she's still kind of learning about all this communication stuff and all the ways that she can help and we can work together. And so I had to kind of figure out how to gracefully, you know, tell yeah. her like it, he's, he's having a difficulty. Um, because it's really hard yeah, to, like, frame that perspective. And I think, I mean, sometimes I think part of it is denial. Yeah. Right? We're still like dealing with that, these, this hard news. Um, and I think that goes back to like really building that relationship. Yeah. With parent. Yeah. And see, and then like, that was my struggle was like, I saw her at pick up and drop off. And that's when we would have those conversations. And it was really, it's like, I can't, I wish I could go home with you. And I wish we could just sit, I could observe and we could talk about all the different ways you can work with him right now. But it's, yeah, I mean, block. I have a family who th this family truly, truly believes like my kid won't talk and they, they especially won't talk when I speak my home language. And like right now we're just like trying to work through that and like, English is not their strong language and um, but she believes that like she can't speak mm -hmm. because 
he won't talk to her and he doesn't want to talk to her at all. Um, but he has a language delay and we know that he needs support, but until we like get that buy-in and until we help her understand that it's not that he won't talk, then we can't keep moving forward. Right. And so it goes back to like, this is why we really have to establish, like lay the groundwork. Otherwise, right otherwise we can't help the child like we we're really working with the parent first and and then we start working with the child and it's like this whole holistic like team effort yeah no I love that um and perfect you brought up bilingualism (laughs) great segue (laughs) just because yeah um and I really I do this is something you know I I mean if I'm being honest like I struggle with understanding all the differences um well, all the, you know, when we talk about it's a language difference, not a disorder and kind of all the things that I can coach parents to do when the child comes from a bilingual family. Um, and I know you are bilingual and um, you do have a good background with that. So what, um, I guess, what is your background with just so everyone else can know more? <laughs> I don't like in the dark. Yeah. So. Um... I'm Egyptian and I speak Arabic and English and I speak mm-hmm. Egyptian Arabic. There are like many dialects of Arabic. So, <laughs> um, I speak Egyptian Arabic and then I speak English and okay. I grew up, um, in Maryland and bo- both my parents are Egyptian. And then my grandma and my aunt lived with me growing up for many years. And my grandma and my aunt only spoke Arabic and then for many years in my early like elementary preschool and then before, right before middle school, I went to a private school where we like ta- were taught Arabic too. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of how I learned Arabic. So like I was simultaneously learning Arabic from birth. Okay. Uh, but as I've grown older, I would say that my mom definitely talks to me, like people talk to me in Arabic and I'm like always responding in English. Oh, okay. But I'm trying to, um, I, I do speak Arabic for sure still, but I feel like my Arabic is like the quality is way going down <laughs> because I'm like not getting that much practice in anymore. Yeah. But I like want, like when I have kids, I'm like, you have to speak Arabic. Yes. So I like yeah. need to keep it up. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's important. My dad is native Spanish speaker, but did not teach us, um, yeah. You know, and and I don't not that I hold it against him or anything, but I'm definitely like, man, like, (laughs) you know, thinking, yeah, yeah, especially as a speech pathologist, I'm like, darn it, like Spanish would have been so great. Um, I mean, yeah, Yeah. and I now I'm just held responsible, right? I can learn if I want to, um, which I should, but um, okay. So, common question I'll get, especially at like an initial evaluation from a parent is you know, I'm, let's say they're a Spanish speaking family, they'll ask, you know, does, is this maybe because he's at school and it's in English and I'm at home and isn't, and it's Spanish, is it confusing? Is it causing a delay? Um, what are your thoughts on that? So that's definitely like the first <laughs> question I hear. I think yeah. like every time I do a Q&A with parents, that's like, will bilingualism cause a delay or does it confuse them? And the answer is no, it, it does not confuse or cause a delay. And, um, 
in fact, like children who are bilingual are expected to meet milestones at, at exactly the same rate as children who are monolingual. And what we do for children who are bilingual is that we would take their total vocabulary. So what that means is that we would take the number of words they have, for example, if they spoke English and Arabic, we take the number of words that they had in English and the number of words that they had in Arabic, and that would be their total vocabulary. Um, and oftentimes it might seem that they're slower to develop initially because they have a smaller vocabulary in each language, yeah. but they do catch up, but they're supposed to catch up. Okay. Yeah. And that's, I like how concise that answer was. <laughs> I think, you know, well, I've heard this many times now I'm like getting better. Yeah, I know. Like very fluid with it. <laughs> no, I'm probably going to just like go back when I listen to the recording and write that down. So I have like a little, here you go, parents. Cause you know, it's hard. You're in an IEP meeting and you have this table of people surrounding you and I'll get that question. And I'm like, well, no, it's fine. But then I, I'm always like trying to get better at offering parents like something tangible, like, and here's why, you know, and don't, don't put like, don't hold that kind of guilt. Um, because it's, it's, I love it when my kids are bilingual and yeah. You know, and I think that especially for parents who like Spanish or whatever your home language is, is your first language. And that's the language that you feel most comfortable and confident in speaking children. Like what they need is they need quality, right? They need rich language. They need to be hearing a variety of different kinds of words and they need lots of exposure to that language. Yeah. So, and then they need opportunities to practice. So if you are a parent and you cannot offer that to them in that second language, then I always encourage parents, like speak in the language that you are most comfortable, yeah. confident in, because those skills, they do transfer over into the second language and your kid's not going to be able to hear your home language as often when they leave the yeah. house. And so you lose that connection and like, it's so, so important for you to feel connected to your child with your home language. Yeah. And for the child to feel connected to their culture. Exactly. I mean, yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing is like, sometimes parents are like, well, how do I expose my kid also to my home language more? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can do that through singing songs, right? Yeah. Sing songs in your home language and then reading books. So even if your book is written in English, I half the time don't even read the words in the books. Yeah, they are. So make up the make up your own words and read them in your home language too. Exactly, and that's. I mean, I mean, we we talk about books all day long. Books and songs; those are my yeah. favorite things in therapy. And I know we we're having our book event tonight. <laughs> but um, even a, you know when I'm reading a book with a child or using a book in therapy, I don't read the words. I you know I use the pictures and create whatever language context I want. Um, or, you know, if we're, if we're working on spatial concepts, I might open a book and say, look, the ball is going in the doghouse instead of reading about the animals afraid of the doghouse. Like, I don't know. So it's just, it, you can, you can use those. And that gives you material to use when you're working on those language skills. So if it's, you know, if you're working, if you want to sit down and read a book in Arabic or um, Spanish, make it up, <laughs> use the pictures. Yeah, exactly. Or make your own books, right? Mm -hmm. So like make, look at your family albums or print out yeah. pictures and make with your child together. Yeah. 
No. And yeah. And that even, that's another idea too. scroll through your phone and look at pictures and talk about it in that language. Mm -hmm. Um, That could be something that is just super easy to do, especially right now when there's not a lot of ways to get out there and um, get that exposure in other places. So Mm -hmm. no, a lot of good info. So thanks for that. And then um, another question I wanted to, I'm doing my, my FAQs, but (laughs) another question too, about kind of, you know, things that might um, maybe like a myth that might delay language is um, I get asked a lot about signs and pictures and um, you know, I'll maybe be, be recommending certain kinds of alternative communication. So maybe like a picture system or I'll write a goal where a child, you know, I want them to point to a picture to request or something like that. And I'll have parents sometimes get concerned because they want their child to use words. They want them verbally and they want them to talk. And so I'll get asked, well, won't that hinder their language production um, or their, I should say, verbal language production? Um, And so I'm curious what what you think about that? Because I'm always obviously like, no, it doesn't. But then there's a lot that goes with that. One of the things is really helping parents understand the progression of language development, right? And so whether we're using signs or gestures or pictures, we really know that children who use more gestures early on have larger expressive vocabularies later in development. And before children combine two words together, they're combining gestures with their words. And um, so we really want to keep that in mind. And also we're looking for prerequisite skills for children when, when they're ready to sign or use any form of gestures with us, right? And so sometimes talking is like too much work for them um, or too difficult or too challenging. So we always want to meet the child where they're at and then maybe challenge them like one step above. And so we're always looking, can they imitate our actions? Can they imitate communicative gestures? And then they're like ready to use these picture systems or use um, these signs. And it does not hinder their communication, it really gives us a bridge to supporting their language development, right? It attaches meaning to the words that we're using. Um, And I think I mentioned this before that we are just showing a visual, right? Just as if we were offering choices in real life when we show the kids two things, this is another way of doing that for them and really breaking down that communication a little further for them to support them in the way that they need it the most. We're really, I think, just trying to find ways to help motivate them to get them to interact, to take mm-hmm. turns, start those interactions with us. And for some kids, that means using pictures. And for some kids, that means using those signs and those gestures. We're just supporting them and meeting them where they're at, like yeah. you were just saying. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I'm all about the gestures. They're oh. so good for little ones. Me um. too. <laughs> They're so fun. I I um I recently one of my slippers came up with this cool game. Do you know what a um they're called cheap talks? Have you ever seen those? No, I've never They're like they're old. I think they're pretty old school. <laughs> but yeah. in my district, we've had a few floating around, so I have one in my preschool classroom and it's like this um it's basically like a a bulky go talk, which I don't even know 
Yes. Go talk. It's they're basically they're low tech um, AAC alternative augmentative communication yeah, yeah. devices, and they um, the, it's it's cool because you can record your voice like for each button. There's like four yeah. buttons. They're all different colors. I wish I had it here because it's just to me they're so yeah. cool, but they're like clunky things. And what you can do is you can make your own little icons to put on there. And so my slipbook came up with this cool game where, cause the kids love to push the buttons, right? Every kid loves just pushing buttons and, you know, and then when you hear what, what it says, like, so we have like clap hands, jump up and down, um, wave high, give a hug. And they're just, they're gestures. And so she mm-hmm. kind of helped me create it so we could have a way for them to interact, but then we're also working on those gestures. So we might work on more um, and then, you know, they might get something for more, you know, but we're like doing that sequence and I don't know. It's just, I, I love working on gestures and they're so functional. They are. And it's like, you know, like someone might walk into my speech room one day and just see me just working on all these gestures. Like, what is she doing? But it's like, and I think it's also important to remember, like, that even we as adults are always using gestures mm-hmm. in our everyday, like facial expressions. And when we're talking, like I talk with my hands oh, all the time. Me too. <laughs> and it's so, it's so helpful. Even now, like we're all wearing masks. Like we have to be using our hands more when we're talking and just thinking about putting that into the child's perspective too. Like yep. we benefit from that way more as well. Right. We use, and we use visuals um, all day long, you know, even when you're driving, like there are mm-hmm. so many signs around, like they all help us understand and see like what's next, what's to come. Exactly. Um, so so. That same kind of support. Yeah. No. Oh, super, super fun. It's been so fun talking to you despite the technology. <laughs> you too. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. Yes. I do want to end, um, cause a little bit ago, before we started recording, we talked about uh, something cool you do in your parent coaching classes, right? That's where you yeah, do like the my mommy and me parent. Your child. mommy and me, I love it. Well, I had a dad in my class last week, so my parent child. Classes. Your parent child, love it. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Um, so you do affirmation cards, which I just love. Um, do you want to explain a little bit about how you do that? Yeah. So at the end of the class, we kind of. I, well, we're meeting virtually now because of COVID, but (laughs) (laughs) we pull one of the affirmation cards and we read them out loud. And this is really just to practice some mindfulness and gratitude for ourselves, but also just helping instill these feelings of confidence and self-value, self-worth and appreciation for ourselves and in our children. Um, And then reflecting right throughout Mm -hmm. the week, make us more aware of the things that we're experiencing. So we just pull a card, we read the affirmation, and then there's a reflection question at the end. Um, so I'll read a card for us. Yes, please. <laughs> so this card, and these cards are so lovely. They're from Love Powered Co. Okay. Cool. Yes. Um, so there, this one says, empathy is my power. I am empathetic. I am supportive. I am understanding. I consider and appreciate the thoughts and feelings of others. I am empathetic. And then at the end, there is a guiding question that says, can you remember a time when you were empathetic? How did it feel? So usually I open up this question to um, 
the parents and I see who's wanting to share how they're feeling in the moment. And then the following class will kind of reflect again together. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. I think this is like such a good one too, because every single day parents are practicing empathy because kids are learning and growing so much and they have lots of big feelings. Um, and so just remembering to give yourself grace in yep. these moments, right? Because there's a lot <laughs> that's happening and we're so supportive of them and um, we need to be also supportive of ourselves yeah. too. Um, yeah. So we're all very empathetic and if we don't feel that empathetic, just know that we're working, we're work in progress. We always are. Well, that was an awesome note to end on. So, <laughs> so thank you so much again for joining me. I hope that um, your classes continue to go well. Me too. Thank you. So awesome. Thank you so much, Netta, for joining us for this amazing informational and inspirational conversation. I loved that affirmation and I hope all of you listening did too. Friends, I am linking Netta's website and her Instagram account to the podcast notes. Please go find her. If you ever need any information for early intervention or preschool speech or um, anything, just go look at her Instagram or go reach out to her. She's amazing. Also, friends, be sure to um, subscribe, rate, review this podcast. I'm loving your feedback. If you ever have a suggestion or want to nominate somebody to be on the podcast, you know what to do. Go over to thanksmorris.com, find the Join the Conversation podcast tab, and fill out a form and connect with me via email. Other than that, have a magical day, friends, and uh, drink lots of water because it's been pretty hot out there. <laughs>